six-week class that we'll um, go through that designed, is designed to help us ground us in the foundational principles of the Christian life, basically how we can meet with God, or is it possible even to meet with God. And so the goal of this class, you see there at the top, is to give us a biblical understanding of why we should cultivate a relationship with God on a daily basis and to equip us with physical or uh, practical tools that will help us to do just that. Now, just the simple title of this class, Cultivating Relationship with God, it assumes two things. First of all, it assumes that cultivating a relationship with God is something that we can do. We, we can cultivate a relationship with God. And then secondly, cultivating a relationship with God is something we should do. So the first is kind of the what. Um, what should we do in order to um, cultivate a relationship with God? And the second is more the why, answers the why question. That is, can we really do it or should we really do it? And so this week's class will be aimed at addressing the first one there. Um, can we meet with God or can we have a relationship with God? And then next week I'll show you that, that that's something that we should do. And then the following four weeks, we'll have an overview of uh, meeting with God in His Word in, in weeks three and four. And then week five, we'll talk about meeting with God in prayer. And then week six, we'll talk about some hindrances and pitfalls to cultivating a relationship with God. All right, so let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, get into our study this morning. Lord, we do thank you for this time that we have together. We pray that you'd help us to remove the distractions that we have in our lives. Certainly, um, there have been some things throughout this week that have, um, that have uh, taken much of our thought and time. And uh, we understand that this time here is for us to, to grow into Christ-likeness. And we pray that you would help us to be able to focus our attention this morning. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand and accept these truths and to apply them to our lives. And we look forward to your, your grace in understanding these things. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first assumption that we have here is, is can we really cultivate a relationship with God? I mean, this is really a, a big assumption if you think about it. Because we are finite people, and God is infinite. Now, you've uh, all been married here in this room, so you understand that starting a relationship begins with a simple introduction. It's, it begins with meeting that person at one point. You can't uh, get married to someone you don't know. You can't get married to someone that you don't have a relationship with. It starts a cultivating any type of relationship starts with a, a basic introduction. And so we have that same thing between us and God. You see, God is a real person. God is not just some mystical creature that is far away from us and cannot be um, understood or met with. Uh, because He is God, He can be uh, he can be understood. He can be met with. We can cultivate a relationship with Him. And th this is something that He did not have to do, in fact. I mean, God, sometimes we think, well, God created the world and all these people because He needed us. Maybe He was alone. He was, he was bored up there or something. 
But God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. Um, God needs nothing um, to to continue to exist. He doesn't need more praise. He doesn't need more uh, people. He doesn't need any type of power or anything. God is self-sufficient. So the reason that He created us was not for uh, necessarily because He was trying to fulfill one of His needs. It was actually for our benefit so that we could enjoy Him. And so... Uh, for us to meet with him is is certainly a, a great uh, privilege that we can have. So, how do we know that that this is even possible? How how is it possible that we can meet with God? Well, God has revealed Himself to us. If God had not revealed Himself to us, there's no way we could know about Him. And God has revealed Himself in basically two ways that we'll talk about today. The first um, thing I want you to, to point your attention to is that, that question there from the Westminster Catechism. It says, how does it appear that there is a God? And there's two answers that are bound up in this one answer. And that is, the very light of nature in man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God. But his word and spirit only do sufficiently and effectually reveal him unto man for their salvation. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. We should be thankful that God has revealed Himself to us. He has showed to us who He is in some way. And this is the first part that we want to look at. Someone read for me Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Okay, Ken. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter his speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. All right. This is what the Westminster Catechism draws on when it tells us that God used his work to show himself to us. See that there? The very light of nature and man, under the answer part, uh, it says, The very light of nature and man and the works of God declare plainly that there is a God. So there is something that we know about God before we even read the Scriptures. Do you realize that? That's what's called general revelation. That's your first blank there, general revelation. This is general information about God that is general. It is to all people. Okay, So it's, it's basic information, but it's to all people. Everybody knows that there is a God. Everyone knows. In fact... Uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, and I want to show you that this is something that is clear in every single person. You don't have to have a Bible. You don't have to have someone tell you about God. You know instinctively that there is a God. Romans chapter 1, in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, speaking about ungodly men who suppress God's truth, he says, um, for because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So that is general revelation. 
Everyone knows something about God. Verse 20 tells us that it's something about His invisible attributes, something about His characteristics, something about His power. We all know it before we even have any um, contact or understanding of the Scriptures. We all know it. That's the way that God made us. So we can see at least some of who God is through creation. So then the question comes, well, then if, if I have some knowledge about God, is there a way that I can cultivate a relationship with Him just from my understanding through nature? Let's say the Bible were not here at all. We were out in the, the jungles of Africa and we don't have a Bible in our translation or in our language. Could we ha- cultivate a relationship with God through nature? That is the question. And basically, from our understanding of Scripture, we cannot. We cannot. We do have certain knowledge about God. We know that He exists. We know that He is a good God. Uh, we'll get to some of the things that we know about Him. But it, although nature may be very beautiful and there may be a lot of things that we can comprehend from nature about God, we can't ultimately cult- cultivate a relationship with Him through the trees or through the mountains or, or the streams. In order for us to know things about God, God must speak specific truth. That is, through words. He must speak specific truth to us about ourselves. <clears throat> so, what is it that we know about God? Now, there's a lot of debate exactly about what we know about God apart from the Scriptures, but let me just give you a few things that, that I think that are based on Scripture and uh, that are true about every single person. <clears throat> and that is... First of all, God reveals something to us about his, uh, his greatness. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, talks about um, the heavens declaring the glory of God. I mean, it, it's obvious that, that there is a creator. Okay, so that's the first thing. We see this through nature. Then secondly, this passage that we're looking at right now, it reveals something about God's power and that He is judge. You see, it says, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly understood, cl- clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. A person who does nev- who never receives any scripture is still culpable. They're still um, <clears throat> they're they're still uh, going to be punished because of their sin, even if they never heard the gospel. And that's hard for us to to take in, but ultimately that's the, what the Scriptures teach. So first of all, it reveals something about God's glory, something about His power. And then the other thing that we know without Scripture, every person inherently knows, is something about His providence. And the first thing I want to show you is that we know something about God's goodness. Let me read for you Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. It says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, and He causes sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, um, if we just take a general observation of, of the world around us, we recognize that good things happen to both good people and bad people. I mean, uh, someone who is a complete pagan could have a farm, and they still get rain fall on their crops. And maybe they even have better crop than a person over here who goes to church on Sunday and whatever. Um, 
we recognize that there there is some goodness in God that that God somehow spreads rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He he gives his goodness to all people. That's called common grace. So he provides uh, his benevolent, gracious uh, gifts to all people. But then also he provides food for all people. Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. We won't go there. Um, he provides food. So God is a good God. He provides food for all people. Daniel 2.21 tells us that God raises and removes power. If you remember, uh, probably the best example really is, is Pharaoh, a person who is a complete um, uh, reject comp- uh, as, far as, as far as accepting the truth of God. I mean, he did not want to accept them accept it at all and yet we find from exodus chapter 9 14 that god says i raised you up pharaoh it was me and we find from other passages in exodus that that he said i hardened your heart pharaoh it was it was me who hardened your heart so it's actually god who raises up these rulers and then takes them down we recognize that if just based on general observation and then I think we all understand that inside of the heart of every person is this distinction between right and wrong. This is something that God has written on our hearts through our conscience. Okay, So before we have any scripture, we understand that someone who has some injustice done to them, that's wrong. Or someone who has been murdered or someone who has committed some evil crime, that person is, is wrong. We understand that before we have any truth of Scripture. And that's because God has written something something on our hearts through our conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 talk about the law that was written on our hearts. All right, so there's two purposes for general revelation. There's two purposes. The first purpose is that I think it's a background for special revelation. And that is the God of the Bible... And the special revelation is the same God that everyone knows from from general revelation. Okay, so what we're going to find out from the scriptures is not different from necessarily the 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 same God that we've known about from the time we were young. It's the same God. So this is so basically we 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 know about God uh, from the time that we were young, and then now as we start to learn about Him and and uh, and understand more of his truth, you see, then special revelation starts to make sense. So general revelation is basically a prerequisite for special revelation. Second reason, or second purpose for general revelation is for condemnation. That is, uh, a person can be condemned simply because of the knowledge they have of God. The knowledge that they have of God through the through nature, because a lot of people are not going to get the opportunity to hear the gospel and reject it. So God still condemns those people because they are sinners and sin must be punished. So therefore, general revelation becomes the basis for their punishment. That is, they they can be condemned because of the knowledge that they have of God through creation. All right, so that leads us to the the next one there, and that is special revelation. Special revelation. This is um, this is what God does in special revelation. He he basically takes the knowledge that we have in general revelation, and he and he um, informs us better. In special revelation, it, we could basically we could simply sum it up in this way: it is a special message 
given to a special group of people. Okay, or we could say it's a it's a it's a um, specific message given to a small group of people. Okay, not everyone gets special revelation. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through redemptive history, that is salvation history, and look at how God spoke or how God revealed himself to people specially. All right, so first, Abraham. In the Old Testament, we have Abraham. God spoke very clearly to to Abraham. In fact, he talked to him audibly. This is special revelation. This was a specific message directly from God. And he spoke to him and he gave him the promise, Abraham, your descendants will be great. You will make a great nation. You will have as many descendants as there is sand on the seashore. And so he spoke to Abraham through special revelation. God also spoke very directly to Moses in the law. And he gave him this law, which the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were to live before God. And it was through the law that God would show his people that they are actually incapable of keeping it completely because of their sin. And we understand that now, even uh, if we try to keep the law, we cannot do it either. And God shows us that, that we cannot be righteous on our own. That was the purpose of the law. We can't be righteous on our own. We have to have someone else stand in our place. There has to be some sort of atonement made. And that's why you see the whole sacrificial system in the Old Testament and obviously the perfect and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. All right, then in the Old Testament, God then uh, spoke to the prophets or he spoke through the prophets. The prophets had this special message to these people. This is what God says. Okay, um, they they would often, you know, say that this is the word of the Lord. So they would be speaking on behalf of God, and these were often messages of judgment. But they also included some promises of hope that God would spare them, that that God had a future hope for them, that they 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 could surely trust Him. And uh, many of these messages were about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so then we come to the New Testament, and we have um, special revelation in the New Testament. The best, the best way that God revealed Himself is through Jesus Christ, His Son. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, see, this is a special revelation in the Old Testament, and then it says, in many portion and in many ways. Now, now how does he speak? Verse 2. In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. See, in the Old Testament he spoke through prophets he spoke through the law he spoke through his audible voice now he speaks in the new testament in our day through jesus christ and we have that continuing message recorded for us in the scriptures john chapter 1 verse 1 you know that verse it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god 
And if we read all the way down to verse 14, we find out that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So who is that Word? Jesus Christ. Okay, so John, John wants to make it very clearly. He begins, listen, there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you're not clear, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is Jesus Christ um, in human flesh. This was not a catchy nickname that, that John had for his teacher. Hey, maybe I can come up with a new one for Christ. No, this was actually a way of speaking about Jesus Christ to us. And that is that, that he is the communicator for us of who God is. Okay? There's all sorts of different types of revelation that God gives to us. Okay? We see the revelation that he gives us through the law, through the prophets, he gives us, uh, there's, he, sometimes he speaks to us in dreams, not us, but the Old Testament, prophet, Old Testament prophets, Old Testament saints, even Mary and Joseph. Um, he, he speaks to us, he speaks to them through dreams. He spoke to them audibly. He spoke to them in many different ways. And he speaks to us through the scriptures, but do you realize that there's no better revelation of God than Jesus Christ? There is no better revelation than Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. Okay? It's not that He just speaks the words. He, he exemplifies who God is. And so that's why He is the best representation of who God is. Because He is God. And so what about today? Today, um, we don't hear the audible voice of God. We don't hear God through dreams. He doesn't speak through prophets. And while He may have done that in the Old Testament, and He may have spoken through Jesus Christ in the Word, I've already alluded to this, but basically now He speaks to us through His written final Word, and that is the Word of God. In fact, the only way that we know about all these things that I've been talking about the only way we know about Jesus Christ is through His Word, the Bible. So, from Scripture, we learn at least five things about Jesus. All right, let's look at the first one in Colossians chapter 1. Before we get there, are there any questions? I've uh, talked a lot here, so let me give you an opportunity to ask any questions. Does that make sense? General revelation and special revelation? All right, any questions on that? Okay, good. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, if we go back up to verse 8, we find out, or verse 7, it says, um, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And um, so basically what we have here in Colossians chapter 1 is Paul talking about the excellencies of Christ. So in verse 15 he says, He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God. So that's the first thing that we know from Scripture about Jesus Christ, that He is the image of the invisible God. God spoke to us, through, Je through Jesus um, and told us what He is like, what God is like, and who He is. There are lots of things we would not know about God if it were not for Jesus Christ. 
So we find out that Jesus is an image of the invisible God. No one has seen God at any time. So the only way that we can really have a grasp on who God is, um, or I guess the best way for us to have a grasp on who God is, is to see Jesus Christ. So secondly, we see that from John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, that Jesus was a prophet. And these three offices that you find in the Old Testament will find in Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in a second. But John chapter 12, verse 49 says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and, to what, and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So, Jesus speaks on behalf of God. He was the perfect prophet. You realize in the Old Testament, God used a lot of men to speak his word to his people. In fact, the whole, from basically um, Isaiah all the way till the end of the Old Testament, those are all prophets. Um, we usually break them down into the major and minor prophets. The major prophets being the longer books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. And then the minor prophets being the shorter ones like uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all the way to the end. Um, but God spoke through all these men. But there was not a perfect prophet in the Old Testament. These guys were sinful people. I mean, the word that they spoke was from God, but they were not perfect. There, whenever that person died, that prophet died, there would always have to be another prophet to replace him. And so there was never a time in the scriptures where we had the perfect prophet until Jesus Christ came. And I think that's what the Old Testament does in a lot of cases, is it points to Jesus Christ. You see, the perfect prophet, the perfect representation of God, the perfect word of God. So first, he was the image of the invisible God, or he is the image of the invisible God. He, he was a prophet. And then thirdly, um, Jesus is a priest. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says that Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, and that, that he entered into the holy places, the very thing that the priest was to do, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now, what was the priest's function in the Old Testament times? What was their job in the Old Testament, the priest? What's that, to carry on the tradition? Okay, what was, what was their uh, most important role? Maybe I'll put it that way. Yeah, offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people because, you see, they had to have a way to make atonement for their sins. And what did the priests have to offer as a sacrifice in order to make atonement for their sins? Yeah, it would have to be a lamb or a calf or uh, they had even some, uh, some type of bird offering. They had grain offerings. They had all these different types of offerings <coughs> um, to pay for their sins. And basically, it was just a picture that, that that blood was what was necessary to pay for sin. In fact, Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. 
So they had to have some blood shed in order for their sins to be taken away. Now, ultimately, that pointed to uh, the New Testament when we had the blood of Jesus Christ. Exactly what Jesus did when he came and offered himself. But he, he was a much better priest than the Old Testament priests were. You see, the, the Old Testament priests, again, they were sinners. But they offered these sacrifices over and over and over again. And they could never have enough animals and enough uh, bloodshed in order to pay for everyone's sin. But then Jesus Christ came and he offered blood from a perfect sacrifice himself. And then what that did for him was it made for him it made him to be the perfect high priest because now his blood was shed and it turned out that it was uh, an eternal sacrifice, one that could continually pay for sin. And there would not have to be another sacrifice made again. So in the Old Testament, we have a prophet and we, we couldn't find a perfect prophet in the Old Testament. We had to keep getting them replaced. In fact, there are lots of false prophets and then we also had these per, these priests who would who would die and have to pass it on to the next guy, and you have to have all these descendants, and they have to keep sacrificing all these animals. And then, but then Jesus came, and he was the perfect prophet and the perfect priest. And then thirdly, he was well. This is fourth for you, but but the three things that we typically think about when we think about Jesus Christ is that he is the perfect king. Scripture shows us that he is king or Lord. The Gospel of John gives us uh, the account of the Roman prefect of Judea, uh, Pontius, Pilate, questioning Jesus before Jesus would go to the cross. In John 18, we hear Pilate ask, Are you the king of the Jews? I'm just going to ask you. Because Pilate really wanted to know. He wanted to make sure that there was a fair trial. And he said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds in verses 36 and 37. And he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So are you king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus was the perfect king. You see, in the Old Testament, we had lots of illustrations of people, of kings, who were imperfect. And we could never find a king. I mean, obviously, most people look back to, really, the second king ever, which was David, and he was probably the best king in the Old Testament, but even he was not perfect. There were plenty of times when he was uh, leading in his throne that he, he uh, was far from perfect. And so what happened was these guys would die and the next guy would come up and and you'd have these people who were complete pagans trying to run uh, the people of Israel, trying to lead them. And then you'd have more kings and just keep replacing them. And and you'd never find that perfect king. You'd never be at a spot where you felt, wow, this this is where we ought to be. And what it did was it, it left you wanting more. It left you with this desire to see one day when God would finally set on his throne a perfect king, on David's throne, a perfect king. And so the Old Testament saints were constantly looking for this person to come. And they knew him as the Messiah. 
And it was when Jesus Christ came that he became that perfect king. Now, Jesus makes it clear here in, in this verse I just read for you, John chapter 18, that ultimately he did come to set up his kingdom on this earth. But the people rejected him as the Messiah. His own people did not receive him, John 1.11. And so what he did was say, well, if you, if you are not going to accept me, I'm going to spread out, I'm going to expand my offer to the whole world. Not just the Jews, I'm going to spread it out to the Gentiles as well, which was unheard of in, in the uh, Jewish culture, that, that, they would, that God would offer this to someone outside of, of the Jewish religion. And uh, so ultimately, Jesus will one day set up his kingdom. And we know that as the millennial reign, when he reigns for a thousand years. He'll sit on the throne on this earth, and he'll reign over all people with a, a just, as a just ruler. And he will punish people who, who are basically pretenders. We will be um, in our glorified bodies at that time, and we will be participating in that kingdom. All those who have, who have um, been saved, I believe, from the time of Pentecost until now. So that will be a great day. But but um, ultimately, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it, we 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 put Christ as King on our heart's throne. We could say, and so Jesus does become our King, and. Um, so even though his own people did not receive him, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right or the authority, the power to become the sons of God. All right, then finally we learned from Scripture that Jesus is God. And we looked at this uh, several weeks ago. Um, but Jesus is God. Remember John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus, that all things were made through Jesus. When we read that verse, it said, He is the image of the invisible God by which all things were made through Him. That is, Jesus was, was uh, active in creation. And the only way that could actually be possible, that Christ was act active in creation, was that He was God, or that He is God. All right, so those are the things that we those are five of the things that we we learn from scripture. Any questions on that section or anything we've talked about so far? Okay, there might be a question that's burning in your mind. You know, he who asks is a fool for 5 minutes, but he who fails to ask is a fool forever. So you need to determine if if this is, is uh something that's that, that important. All right, let's move on to um, the last section, and that is the uh, hindrances and solutions to cultivating a relationship with God. Because what we've been talking about so far is that we, we can cultivate a relationship with God. The only reason we can is because, because God has revealed himself to us. God uh, made everything, and then he designed a way in which he could reveal himself to us he's done that in several ways the first way we looked at general way is through general revelation he he does that through creation and then the second main thing main way that he does that is through special revelation he's done that in several ways through the prophets um, through all sorts of appearances and dreams and so on in the old testament 
then Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and then for us, the Word of God. So, Scripture tells us all these things about Jesus, but it, it also tells us very clearly that we are sinners. And our sin ulti- ultimately sets a barrier between us and God. It sets a barrier between us and being able to cultivate a relationship with God because God is holy. But we, we, so, so what we do is we think, well, if, if uh, my sin sets a barrier between me and God, then what I could do is just stop sinning. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just won't sin anymore. But that doesn't cut it because there's still punishment to be made. And, by the way, there's no way that we could actually stop sinning because of our sinful natures. We were born into a sin-cursed world and we have sin-cursed bodies and minds. And uh, so there has to be a punishment. And when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had this relationship with God, remember? They had cultivated a, a great relationship with God. It said that Adam walked in the garden with God. But then once they sinned, what happened? God removed them from there, from the garden. There, he removed them from that special relationship that they had with Him. Now they could no longer meet with Him. <clears throat> excuse me. They, they could no longer meet with Him the way that they used to. Now they had to uh, somehow make atonement for their sin before they could actually meet with God. In fact, 1 John chapter 1 Verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it is that it is God that ultimately uh, restores this relation to, to, relationship to Him. And the way He does that is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. There has to be some sort of forgiveness for our sins. And then look at that. Um, well, let me have you fill in that blank there. The New Testament establishes the means of this restoration. Okay, The New Testament establishes the means of this restoration, and that is forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> the way that we can now meet with God, the way that we can cultivate a relationship with God is through this restoration of our restoration to God, forgiveness of sins. So let me point your attention to one verse here, and then we'll uh, wrap it up. Okay, Hebrews chapter four, verse sixteen is on your sheet. There it says, "Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may have mercy and find grace to help in time of need." It tells us that we have a great high priest that stands between us and God now, a mediator, a person. Who, who takes our place. He, he's not only a person who goes between us and God and gives us access to Him, He also is our advocate. Okay? He's like a lawyer that stands up there and He, he defends us. He says, no, you, you cannot punish them. Why? why? God, God could say, why? why? Why can I not punish them? And Jesus said, because I've already taken that punishment for them. You see, I'm, I'm standing in their place. And so you, you no longer can, can give them the judgment that they deserve because I've already received that judgment. And so you need to look at me. You need to look at my, the blood that I shed, the life that I lived. And I want you to place that on their account. Obviously, God understands all those things, but I'm just trying to illustrate the point that Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is our advocate. 
He stands before us. And so if we are to cultivate a relationship with God, we must do, do it through Jesus Christ. So we have to be people who practice biblical spirituality. The only place that we can understand about Christ is not in the, the stars or in the mountains or in the trees or whatever. We can't find out about Christ through those things. We have to find out about Him through His Word and what He demands of us as His servants. And so we ought to be people who practice biblical spirituality, recognizing that when we go to God in His Word and through prayer and through the fellowship of the saints, we are ultimately cultivating a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so based on all this Scripture and all that we learn about Jesus, our assumption that we try that we looked at at the beginning can we really meet with god can we cultivate a relationship with him should be answered in the affirmative yes we can because of jesus christ so what we're going to do next week is we are going to um look at the second assumption and that is that meeting with god is something that we can do or we could say it this way why should we meet with god okay i mean i understand that i can but why what's the point and so we'll we'll look at that next week. Are there any questions before we go? All right, you have a blank there for your assignment and I don't have anything for you. So Merry Christmas. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll um we'll be dismissed. Lord, it is always amazing to think about the truths of Jesus Christ and the truths of your word. It's, it's amazing to think that he would condescend, that he would come down to our level, our lowly, and become a lowly human and give up his life uh, being ridiculed and scorned and mocked and uh, terrorized and spit upon. And he did all those things so that we could have access to you. Lord, we pray that our lives would be a living, a living sacrifice in response to what he has done for us. Help us to give of ourselves completely to him and to you so that all of our lives are a reflection of your grace and the love that we have for you because of your grace. And we pray these things in the name of our great Savior. Amen.